So a couple weeks ago uh, at junior high, actually, we were talking a little bit about Christmas, and I started by asking the question, hey, what kind of foods make Christmas feel special? And we had a very fantastic, fun conversation about the foods that make Christmas feel special. We talked about that big plate of cookies that grandma always makes and nobody's able to eat all of. We talked about that. One family uh, group of kids talked about their family tradition of how uh, when they decorate for Christmas, they, they have this meal together of Chinese food afterwards. That's a part of their Christmas celebration. And actually, Chinese food showed up a couple times because another family, their Christmas tradition on Christmas Eve after the service is to have Chinese food as, as their Christmas Eve meal. And then we heard about the Christmas, some Christmas morning uh, traditions that involve opening gifts and having big brunches together. And as we talked about the food and people's favorite foods and least favorite foods, there were smiles and laughter and excitement. You could kind of tell food is something that kind of gets us thinking about Christmas. It was just a fun conversation. And then we took the conversation and we went in a bit of a different direction. I asked, the, I asked our students, you know, what is something this time of year that you wish was different, either about yourself or about the world that we live in, about people that you care? What is something that you wish was different? And, and I wasn't expecting the conversation to go nearly as well as the food one, but I was wrong because it did. There's some good, good thoughts that came out. And we talked about how, you know, we wish, it was, we wish you didn't have to live up to the expectations of others, you know, the way people look at to us. How, I don't, it's hard to live up to these expectations. We talked about how sometimes we feel invisible and alone, that nobody knows who we are. And one student talked about how, well, we just talked about all this awesome food, but we know people in our lives who are really struggling to have food to eat. And that makes, that's hard. We wish that would be different. And what this conversation highlighted for me is, is the reality that when it comes to Christmas, we can find ourselves in a very real place of tension, can't we? We can be excited for our celebrations. We can be excited for some of the really good things that, that we get to do and we get to enjoy. But at the same time, there might be part of us that feels almost a sense of sadness. And it could be a variety of reasons. It could be due to our own circumstances or it could be just an awareness of the circumstances of others. But we, we can enter this season with a sense of tension. And the reality is that the vision that often gets presented about, in our pop culture about Christmas doesn't seem to leave a lot of space for those of us who aren't feeling happy. But the beautiful thing about this Advent season, and we are in the season of Advent right now, is that Advent, Advent creates space for those of us who, who aren't experiencing that, you know, that hallmark special type of Christmas. It creates space for us to explore what does it mean to celebrate Christmas when life isn't happy. And in fact, this tension is very much a part of, of the theme of joy that we're ex going to uh, explore together this morning. And the big idea is that the joy of Advent is not that things are good, but it's that Jesus is with us when things aren't. And so this morning, we're going to read through uh, the Christmas story from Luke chapter 2. We're going to read it in, in some parts, and we're going to make some uh, observations and look at some points along the way. But that's our big idea, that the joy of Advent isn't that things are good, but that Jesus is with us when things aren't. And so our first point this morning is that Advent reminds us that real life can cause us to feel powerless. And let's look over look to Luke chapter 2. We're going to read the first three verses here. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. 
This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. We'll come back to that in a moment. You know, I, I don't know how many of us really like being told what to do. I mean, sometimes we, we, we don't mind it when people give us direction from time to time. We could be okay with that. But in general, we don't like the feeling of, have, of, somebody, of not having the say over our own lives. We don't like it when other people are telling us what we should be doing and what, what's impo- what should be important to us. And that experience can lead us to feeling kind of a powerlessness. And in a way, the sense of powerlessness is a part of the, Christ- the Christmas story. You see, for many people in Judea at this time, they felt like they weren't in control of their own lives because of the man that Luke introduces us to in verse 1 of this, pa- of this passage, a man named Caesar Augustus. I think we have his picture right up there. There you go. See, Caesar Augustus was the adopted son of Julius Caesar, the famous Julius Caesar, and he became the sole ruler of Rome after a bloody civil war in which he overpowered uh, all sorts of rivals, including, including the famous Mark Anthony in 31 BC. And so Augustus was the one who would take the, uh, the Rome and turn it into the empire that we know of now. And he, pro- he became the head of that, and he proclaimed himself to be the bringer of justice and peace to the world. And in addition, he declared his dead father, Julius Caesar, to be a god, and by default, he himself was the son of God. And people would call Augustus the savior of the world, and he would, they, he would, they would say that he was their lord. Now, let's keep in mind those descriptions of Augustus for a little bit later, because Luke is going to use some of those same descriptions to describe Jesus in just a few verses. You know, what Luke is doing in these opening verses is he is painting a picture of the political power structures of Jesus' day, and in particular, how they were controlling the lives of ordinary people. And this comes out especially in the conversation about the census. And this census is, 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 the process, is a process that would result in the increased taxation of people who are already living, you know, right on the edge of life or death. It would mean fewer resources for the ordinary people. See, a census back then wasn't just about counting up how many people they were. It was a means of controlling and, and, and exploiting people. And this is the world that Jesus gets born into. The reality is that the most powerful man in the world, Caesar Augustus, controlled the lives of people uh, like those in Judea, and he did not have their best interests at heart. See, they were poor, they were exploited, they were desperate, and this desperation uh, showed up at various times in the form of rebellions, and these rebellions never turned out well for the ordinary people. And it flowed from this man who people called the savior of the world the Lord. And this reality would have hung over the people of Judea and caused them to feel powerless. You know, as we reflect on our own lives, we recognize that there are things going on around us that can cause us to feel powerless and like, like we don't have control over our lives like we might want. Some of them are things that are going on in our personal lives, but there's also some really bigger things going on in our world that have, a, have an impact on, on, on us and on our families. Right now, there's a question of a, a huge question is affordability, uh, and that's a big concern for a lot of people. As the cost of food and shelter is getting to the point where stability and independence is out of reach for many people, 
You know, some of us are asking questions like, what kind of future is there for our kids? Will they ever be able to afford their own sort of home? Will they be able to take care of themselves? That's a, that's a real thing that our youth and our young adults are wrestling with, is what does the future look like for us given the economic climate? Or what about our relationship with those in power? Can we trust them? Because sometimes it seems like those policies that get developed are, are for their friends, doesn't it? It seems to appease a base of people. Do they really have our best interests at heart? Or what about the threat of violence? Just look at this conflict that's happening in Ukraine. It's a conflict that we all know could easily escalate. And for almost a year now, we've been living with this fear of, is it going to happen now? What about now? What's going to happen here? And these are just a few things that are going on in our world that could cause us to feel a sense of powerlessness. And my guess is if we went around the room, we'd have no trouble coming up with a laundry list of other things, too. But hold on, Luke wants, to, wants us to know that the story is not over here with the fact that Caesar Augustus is in charge. And so that moves us to our second point, that, is that Advent reminds us that Jesus is with us when life feels like it's out of control. And so let's keep reading. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. You know, sometimes things don't get real until they get personal for us. And, and I want to share an example, for, example with you. Back in early 2020, we started to hear of this virus thing that was happening in other parts of the world. And some of us may have had an inkling that it was going to impact us here, but we weren't sure. And for the most part, we could kind of pretend that it was over there and it wasn't going to come here, right? Except for when this changed for me was, was one day when we realized that our dear friend Sandra was stuck in a cruise ship in quarantine for multiple weeks. That's when I started to get home. Now, I asked Sandra about this story, and she said it wasn't that bad. Like, she doesn't want people feeling bad for her. But still, like, it hit home because suddenly we knew somebody who had been impacted by this virus. Suddenly, this wasn't just something that was happening far away, even though Sandra was far away. It was impacting somebody that we knew. If only we knew back then what we know now and how it's all affected all of us so, so much. Well, in this passage, Luke moves uh, from talking about the political situation of who was ruling and what their policies were, and he moves on to tell the story about one family who has been impacted by the whims of the empire. It's a change of perspective that, that should move us from thinking about this, what's going on intellectually, to maybe even feeling what is going on personally, to even feel it emotionally. You know, I'm sure Mary and Joseph would have preferred to stay at home in Nazareth and prepare for the birth of their child there. But that decision wasn't up to them. They were forced to make the journey to Bethlehem and to participate in this census at a time that was just bad timing for them, but they had to get there. And when they get there, Luke tells us that the time came for this baby to be born, and when the baby was born, they wrapped him in cloths and they laid him in a manger. 
Now, the location of where Jesus is born is usually portrayed as being in some sort of stable with Jesus being surrounded by animals because this family has been turned away at the local hotel. And while they could have faced rejection from a local hotel, in some of your Bible translations it would say there was no room for them at the inn, the same wording could also refer to a bit more of a private residence. And so it's just as likely that their rejection came from someone, maybe a family member. Remember, this is Joseph's hometown. He had family there. And somebody didn't want to make space for them or couldn't make space for them. Either way, they find themselves in a place that normally had animals. And again, we don't know if there's animals here. Our little nativity scenes always have animals. We don't know. But they find themselves in this place that normally had animals, which is why the manger or that feeding trough was there. You know, for those of us who have grown familiar with this story, our familiar pictures of the nativity can cause us to not fully appreciate what Luke is communicating to us through this story. Because over time, we have made this story postcard appropriate. We've made it postcard worthy. We've made it nice. Even if we understand that, that it, they, it's a stable, we still, the pictures look nice, don't they? But what Luke is really describing here is about as a scene of isolation, a scene of rejection, a, re, a scene of humility. And that's what Luke wants to stand out here. That right from the beginning, Jesus identifies with the lonely, the forgotten, the rejected, the poor, the vulnerable, the heartbroken, the powerless, those of us whose dreams for our lives are falling apart, that Jesus' humble beginnings are a part of his identification with people like us, people whose lives are often not what we wanted them to be and whose worlds feel out of control. And this brings us to our final point this morning. That Advent invites us to experience, the joy, experience joy in the middle of our circumstances. Let's finish reading our passage. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. You know, one of the things that I, I love about visiting people during this time of year is that some of you have the neatest collections of nativity scenes. Like, I've seen some really ornate, beautiful ones. I've seen some very simple and, and, and powerful, powerful the simplicity nativity scenes. Some of you have some fantastic collections of these things, and it, it's amazing. But a few years ago, I, I, I saw something online that has forever changed how I look at some of these nativity scenes. And so because it's been ruined for me, I'm going to ruin it for you. Owen, can you show us the picture, please? Peaceful manger scene or two T-Rexes fighting over a table saw. Uh, you can see Mary and Joseph are the T-Rexes with their heads open, and baby Jesus is a running table saw. Yeah, I know. And the problem now that I've shown, some of you hate me for this, and I just want to remind you that Christmas is a time of love and forgiveness, peace, all that sort of stuff. Um... You know, my guess is now that you've seen this, you are forever, some of you are like, I have to go home and change my Christmas decorations now. 
you are forever going to look at the nativity silhouette and you are going to find yourself being like, now where are those T-Rexes and where's the table saw? I, you know, your mind now has found an alternative way of seeing something that was familiar. You know, somebody told you this. Now that's going to be in the back of your mind. There's a nice woman across the street who's got this silhouette outside of her house. Every time I walk past it, this is what I see now. Because my mind has now found an alternative way of seeing something that's familiar. You know, this is what Luke is doing in this text. He's inviting his readers to adopt an alternative way of understanding and responding to their circumstances. And as the story continues, Luke once again changes the perspective and moves to the experience of a group of shepherds who are watching their sheep in the middle of the night. And while there is grandeur in the way that this birth announcement is made, I mean, you can't get any bigger than an angel choir, the theme of humility continues as the recipients of these, this message are not the influential, but are a group of the easily forgotten. And again, it tells us something about what's important to God and, and what Jesus would be all about. We remember Jesus would later say, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the kingdom of God. And so let's read again what the angel says to the shepherds. Do not be afraid. We're going to talk about this a little bit more next week when we talk about peace. I bring you good news. Now this word for good news, it can also be uh, translated as the word gospel. You know, the angels are proclaiming the gospel or the good news of Jesus' birth. And as a little bit of a quick aside, I would like to invite us to remember that whenever we talk or think about the Christian gospel, that we should remember that, that it's supposed to be good news. It's supposed to bring joy to those who hear it. Because the angel says that this good news will cause great joy for all the people. Not just a select few, not just for those who are the elite, but for all people. And here's the message that, that is good that will cause joy. That today in the town of David, that's Bethlehem, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. A Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Do you remember our earlier conversation about Caesar Augustus here? Do you remember this guy? And what people said about him? This is a human being who was called divine. He was called the Son of God, whose titles included Lord and Savior of the world. You know, before Jesus was born, these titles belonged to Caesar Augustus. And Caesar demanded the hearts and the allegiance of his empire, even, of everybody in his empire, even by force. Even if it took force, he demanded it. But Luke and the other early Christians take these titles that belong to Caesar and they apply it to Jesus. And you know what? Doing that was treason, and they didn't care. They absolutely didn't care because when they met Jesus, they saw their circumstances differently. See, when they met Jesus, they recognized that he was the Savior that they needed, and he was the Lord that they wanted to follow. And he wasn't in some far-off palace issuing decrees and issuing policies that made people's lives worse. He was easy to find. Scholars say that, that, that Jesus laying in a manger, you know, the angels say, go find him in the manger. The manger, you know, the significance of the manger might have been just that it was the place to find him, okay? It's the directions. Hey, shepherds, there's a baby that's been born in town here, and like, we need to tell you where to go. He's the one laying in a manger, okay, in the feeding trough. Look for the baby in the feeding trough. There you can find him. He was findable. For us, because Jesus is who he is, 
Joy can become a part of our story, even in circumstance, even if the life circumstances of life aren't what we would want them to be. And we find that joy when we discover Jesus. You know, often we confuse joy and happiness. And I think we do that for good reason. You know, we, we are more familiar with what happy feels like, aren't we? It, it, happiness is an emotion that can be triggered by our experience of something good. It, it, and you know what? Don't get me wrong. Happiness is a good thing. We should want to be happy. But joy is deeper than happiness. And often we settle for happy when what we are longing for is joy. Joy can include happiness, but it's deeper than happiness. Happiness comes and goes with our circumstances, whereas joy is more constant and is less prone to the ups and downs of life. You know, joy comes when we understand who we are, when we understand that God loves us and that Jesus is for us. That, that confidence turns into joy. Joy often shows up, or at least it seems most apparent, most evident in our moments of struggle. You know, joy doesn't deny pain, but at times it embraces it, recognizing that in, our, in these moments are moments when we experience God's closeness and we experience God's comfort. You know, joy delights in small, ordinary things. That smile of a child, that, that warm breeze, the small daily gifts of life. I think we see this is something that Jesus does. You know, when Jesus welcomes the children and says, come to me, is Jesus enjoying something simple and beautiful. Joy is humble. And so as we think about this Advent theme this morning of joy, it's hard not to say, hey, just go and try to be more joyful. But that's not how this works. Because the message of the angels isn't to the shepherds, go and be joyful. It's, it, it's go and discover the source of joy. You go and discover Jesus. Because as we discover Jesus, we discover the source of joy for our lives. As we discover Jesus, joy will become a part of our lives. Later, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul calls joy one of the fruits of the Spirit. That is to say that as we are open to Jesus and what Jesus wants to do in our lives, that God through the Holy Spirit grows a number of good things in us. And joy is one of those good things that, that God grows in our lives. And so for us this morning, the invitation is for us to imagine that we are the shepherds and to follow the direction of those angels and to go and discover Jesus for ourselves. Now for some of us, whether we're here in person or we're watching online, um, we would say that we aren't necessarily church people. The reason why we've tuned in this morning is, well, it's Christmas, and maybe we kind of feel like we're supposed to do a church-type thing around Christmas. Or maybe somebody kind of said, hey, it's Christmas. It'd be really nice if you came to church with me. Maybe that's why you're here this morning. And to be honest, we aren't really sure what we think about church. We aren't sure what we think about God. We aren't sure what we think about Jesus. And if that is you, I'm just so glad that you've tuned in and maybe you're paying attention. Uh, just You joined us this morning. We're, just, we're glad about that. But if that is us this morning, I, all I would suggest is that we just entertain this question. What if Jesus could give us the joy that we're looking for? Just entertain that for a few moments. What if Jesus could give us the joy that we're looking for? What if that was possible? Now, for others of us who are already followers of Jesus, we might find ourselves lacking in joy today. 
You know, we, it's too easy to get caught up in the busyness of life, to get overwhelmed with the demands, of the, you know, the demands on our attention, the demands on our time. It's, it's easy to get overwhelmed by what's going on in our world and just to kind of like, just say, life is too much right now. It's easy for that to happen. In all of that, we can lose sight of Jesus as the baby in the manger who is the source of joy. And so this morning, we are all invited to, to rediscover Jesus this Advent season, to find ourselves recognizing him as the humble Lord and Savior, the one who will bring about good things in our lives like joy. Even in the middle of circumstances that maybe aren't the way that we wish they would be this year. Please join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you again for today. And God, we confess that so often we settle for happy when what we really need, what we really want is joy. And Lord, we search so many places, for, so many places, we explore so many different things and ideas while searching for joy, God, that we, we and in the process, we can find ourselves missing out. Lord, this morning we, we come before you and say, God, we want to experience your joy. We want to experience your joy filling us from head to toe, Lord, that it would just define who we are in the circumstances that are good and the circumstances that aren't so good. Lord, that we would enjoy a confidence in knowing who we are in relationship to you. Lord, that we would feel joy in the midst of difficult circumstances because we know that you are with us. Lord, that we would find joy because we have found you to be our Lord and Savior, the Lord that we need, Lord, the humble King. Lord, there's so many things calling out, for, out to us for our allegiance. Lord, this Christmas we ask that you would just redirect us and that we would find the baby in the manger, the source of true and pure joy. Lord, as we go into the things that are ahead, uh, into this week with all the things that are on our agendas, the things that are going to come and surprise us, the, the good things and the not so good things, Lord, would you give us an awareness of you being with us? And Lord, would you remind us of your love for us? Lord, may you make us to be uh, your people who reflect your love and your goodness so well to our neighbors, our friends, our families, our coworkers, our classmates, Lord. Lord, use us to bring your joy to life. In your name we pray, amen.